Blog Talk Radio. My name is Angela Walton-Raji, and I am your guest host this evening. I am sitting in for our good friend, Bernice Alexander-Bennett. A warm hello to all of the callers and chatters to this special episode on Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, we have a special treat for you. For the past four weeks, many of you, including myself, have been watching the PBS special, The African Americans, Many Rivers to Cross. Several members of the African American genealogy community have also been watching the program as a group, and several of us have been blogging on our own personal blogs and responding to the program. And we're really sort of telling the story through the lens of our own family and community history. Joining me tonight are several of those bloggers. Coming in from Tennessee is Nika Smith of Bolivar, Tennessee, and she is a genealogist. She's also a professional photographer who has been documenting her family history journey on an amazing blog called atlasfamily.org. And through the series, the PBS series, Many Rivers to Cross, she's been sharing her own reactions and thoughts on her personal site, whoisnikasmith.com. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Nika. Hello there. How are you doing, Miss Angela? Doing very well. We are thrilled to have you here and anxious to hear, certainly in terms of, of what you have to share with us in terms of your reaction. And I'm going to ask each one of the bloggers, starting out with the exact same question, what is your initial reaction to Many Rivers to Cross? Go ahead, Nika. Um, I think for me, I'm, I guess I'm grateful for it in terms of just providing a new space to discuss African-American history. Um, I think that it's been something that is going to get a lot of new um, researchers or new people who have been interested in their family history kind of, um, you know, started or at least more interested in getting the steps to get their family history started. And, you know, some of the stories that are being shared are ones that are, are 
you know, that we've talked about or discussed for a while, you know, like the Madam C.J. Walkers, the, as I call them, the usual suspects of, of Black History Month that everybody uh-huh. knows, you know, that they, that they call up immediately. And then you have those other, you know, folks like the Robert Smalls and, and, and folks right. like that who, you know, who are being discussed um, as well who have not been able to get as much um, airtime as, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the more notable people. So I definitely think that that, that is, you know, first and foremost the most important thing that I think is, is has been beneficial. Um, you know, I, I have my own personal biases because, you know, I like to see things like the Indian Territory um, or slavery mm-hmm. in the Indian Territory or, or freedmen covered more, um, but I think we might have right. to off our own own thing to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that point, absolutely. Well, you mentioned, of course, the usual suspects that one typically hears during um, documentaries such as this or during Black History Month. Do you feel that lesser-known individuals have been addressed? I mean, obviously, there's only so much you can do in 55 minutes or so. Do you feel that they at least have been addressed to a certain extent? Um, I think they have. I think one of the things, though, that is lacking really are more of those stories in the Deep South. Um, I feel like there's been kind of a bias towards, you know, just just over the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> okay. But that, you know, and I, I'm not saying that as a recent, recent Tennessee, you know, transplant. But, you know, I feel like there there are some more stories that could be, you know, there's more, there's more stories that could be told about things that happened, you know, further down in the Deep South. I feel like it's been a little bit more Virginia and North Carolina and South Carolina-centric, you know, we'll, that we'll put a toe in, we'll put the pinky toe in Louisiana and Mississippi for a little bit, and then we'll come all the way back. <laughs> right. So a lot of it is the Upper South, um, which I guess is probably a general question. It may be a, a reflection of, I guess, the status of, of, of African-American history as it is presented so far, meaning the Upper South is what is often certainly discussed. Well, let me ask you a specific question. Uh, number one, I want to point out to our listeners, you were really sort of one who initiated this blogging project, the circle, in terms of getting us to blog about it, and it's certainly appreciated. And there are several others who've joined our group since that time. But um, you wrote something um, in a recent post on your blog uh, in response to, I guess it was the second episode or the third, where the period of um, Reconstruction um, was dealt with a period right after emancipation, and you mm-hmm. call it the black hole, 1881-1899. Can you elaborate a bit on what you re- were referring to and how it related to episode three, which was that post-emancipation period? Yeah, I I I have my own little you know terms that I refer to things like one of the things that I call. Um, the 1910 census is the toilet paper census because it seems to me like every <laughs> every uh, every time I see an image, the, the quality is horrible, the ink is faded, and so um, you know the, the term the black hole is another one of those things that that I kind of coin you know myself or that I think myself is whenever I find somebody's born in that time period, I go oh man, and I think we huh? all well, do that I, as researchers, I, oh. <laughs> you know, well, and, I, and you know. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, tell us about that black hole. You were very specific well, with years 
1881 yes. to 1899. I can yes. guess, but I want to hear that from you. So, so for for those particular periods, that you know, that's that that's that time period where we don't have a federal census, and so you know, because the 1890 census was burned, um, you know, and then destroyed later, um, you know, we we yeah. don't have that as a as something that we can use as a you know a piece of our research that can help us get a little bit further. So when you have someone who existed or breathed at some point during that time period between 1881 and 1899, people almost always go, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to be able to find anything because we rely so heavily on the U.S. Census. And with the post that I wrote, it was merely explaining, you know, or or kind of illustrating that, yeah, we don't have that, but that's not the end of the world. You can still use other documents like, um, you know, just lists of school students, um, Freedmen's Bureau records, I mean, you, uh, gosh, you could just go on and on deeds, land records. I went into a lot of detail, and I really racked my own brain like, okay, you know, if, if I didn't have the census, which, you know, I don't, if I didn't have a state census, really, I even used that as even more of a further metric, like, you know, get down really deep into this. You know, what other records could I use to reconstruct my ancestors' lives? And, you know, that, that's, that's where the list and the post came from. That's interesting. Did um, you find that uh, the program itself dealt with that time period um, enough, or was it focused on the usual suspects, as as we might say? Um, I think it did not. I feel like it was a black hole, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I feel like it was like, we made it over. And we made it, okay, let's get to 1900. I kind of felt like oh. they ran out of steam, you know, like we oh. were on this train and, and they ran out of coal and we just had to stop wherever it was going to stop. I understand. That's interesting, very interesting. Well, certainly I guess I'll also ask you as a blogger, um, especially as as you had um very made the the wonderful suggestion that you know let's initiate this circle and and let's support uh, each other as we're we're blogging and and share our thoughts with each other. Have you found that your writing? Obviously, we're seeing the series um, as it airs every week. Have you found some inspiration as you stop, reflect, think of your own family history? and then share what you want to share. Do you find that as a blogger um, you've been at least uh, either affected by your fellow bloggers or people who've responded to your blog? Uh, Do you think there's been a benefit from this exercise? Oh, yeah. Um, You know, I like to act like I'm not a writer at all, and then I write stuff (laughs) and I go, oh, gosh, I really – I can actually write. Um, and so I definitely think this whole exercise um, of just all of us getting together and writing on the same topic is, you know, not, and not even necessarily the same topic. It's we're presented with the same information, and it's what our take is on that information. And I feel like everyone has gleaned something new and different. And so when I read the blog post that other people write, it gives me a, a tick like, oh, gosh, you know what, I need to check Bye. into that on this particular line of my family or oh, I didn't quite think of it that way. And that's the beauty of being able to come together as a group with a a group of amazing people, you know, who have such amazing skills and for them to provide their, you know, as we say in the church, their sank on (laughs) whatever the topic is or whatever the focus is. And so, yeah, to Mm -hmm. me, I I actually look forward to doing this more often when we have different series and just different things that come on um, television. Right. Well, one of the things that has been a real pleasant surprise for me 
uh, has been just the fact that several other people outside of the, the handful of us that started blogging have also joined. We have some who are not bloggers, but they're reading and they're replying, and some are saying, maybe I'll start a blog, maybe I'll start doing this. And um, I think that, if nothing else, I've been so excited to see such a positive response coming from the community, and, and I mean the community of, of genealogists who are online. Many of us, of course, know uh, each other through Facebook and other, other types of social media. But it's been exciting because now we have uh, certainly several dozen people who are now even in the group who are aware of what's going on. So um, it's, it's been really fun to participate yeah. in that. Yeah, I agree, and I, it's a whole, it's a whole new, it's exposing, I think, a lot of us to a whole new audience of, of people. Yeah. You know, at first oh. when we started this, I wasn't sure. I was like, nobody's going to want to read what I have to write about this episode. <laughs> I really okay. thought that, and then now I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Wow. Like, I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, people, and it reinforces people really want to hear. They really want to hear. Wonderful. Any other thoughts right now or um, about it? Um, are, you, are you right I'm, in your head right I'm, now for your next episode? <laughs> uh, your next, uh, I sort of say episode edition. Yeah, I still I need to I need to finish wrapping up number four. Um, but I'm I'm actually kind of eager to post about the current um, decade because oftentimes okay. in family history research we never really cover. We always we're always talking about dead people we often don't really focus on the living. And so um, that's one of the things that I'm really, really looking forward to is to kind of sharing some of the strategies that I use to locate, you know, living family members in my own family um, and how you can utilize things online and, and other things, you know, especially when we get into some of the tougher um, eras like, you know, um, you know, the 80s when we get into the drug epidemic and, you know, people yeah. going to jail and mandatory sentencing. I mean, all that wraps into genealogy because it's life. So, I'm really looking forward to being able to blog about that stuff, too. Wonderful. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Nika. Next, we have author and blogger Melvin J. Collier, who is now of Northern Virginia. Melvin has a wonderful website and blog called Roots Revealed, where he not only tells the family story, but he teaches the reader how to analyze the documents that are found, and oftentimes he makes case studies uh, out of his own family. Welcome, Melvin, to Blog Talk Radio. Hello, Angela. Thanks for having me. What a pleasure. Well, I want to ask you, what are some of your first impressions about the series, Many Rivers to Cross? Well, like like Nika um, stated, um, one emotion is one of gratefulness because uh-huh. I always um, I'm very happy to see um, African American history told in documentaries. Uh huh. But also, as I watch, you know, the episodes, it reminds me of how you know how we have a history channel. Yes. There is a need. For, I think there's a need for a black history channel because there is so much, so many aspects to African-American history. And, and uh, Many Rivers to Cross, it seems like it's trying to tell uh, many aspects in one mm-hmm. episode. 
And I personally would like to see more of an elaboration, you know, okay. on, on 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 certain aspects of uh, of uh, what is highlighted in the episode, you know, with personal stories. I think I think um, uh, hearing and listening about personal stories as it relates to uh, to the general history of African American history is is equally right. fascinating and captures, you know. Captures the attention uh-huh. of the audience, and especially you know it gets it gets people thinking that you know these personal stories. Hey, this happened in my family. You know, we right. get a chance to personalize, um, you know, the history through Correct. you know our individual stories. So I could see a whole year of uh-huh. uh, you know this series, you know, being expanded. To include, right. uh, you know, you know, more more personal stories. Well, I know that several of us in in the blogging circle took the theme uh, the, in the very first after the very first episode, and we saw the period from Africa going through the door of no return, going through the horrors of the Middle Passage, and I know that. Um, uh, I certainly made a reference in my own blog post, but I think you did as well, and several of us did, that we learned as we watched episode one about Priscilla from the ball plantation. And it looks as if you did also take some time in your post to trace your own Priscilla's journey, and you followed a branch of your family through the years of um, the Middle Passage and really sort of talked about that. Would you uh, share some of that as you, you know, wondered who your Priscilla was? Share some of that with uh, our listeners. Well, you know, um, one of our dreams, all of our dreams, is to find our own Priscilla. You know, yeah. and it is it, it, it is rather amazing that um, they were able to find such details on Priscilla. However, it doesn't stop from thinking about your own Priscilla. And I was thinking about, you know, who is my Priscilla? And the first person I could think of, I could think of actually two people on my mom's side. Uh, Uh Both are fifth great grandmothers. One was named Jenny and one was named Annika. Uh Uh, They were born roughly around 1760 time frame. Um, Uh Oh, I know, and they they both were in South Carolina at the time. And during that time frame, that was the peak of the uh, transatlantic slave trade into South Carolina. So, you know, I began to think, you know, how many generations is Jenny from Africa? How many generations is Annika from Africa? And it's no more than one or two. So, you you know, when you think about that, even though I don't have details, you know, I just start looking at, you know, as people notice in my blog post, I like facts, figures, and numbers. Absolutely. Statistical data. <laughs> I used to be Which an engineer, so I guess, I guess that has something to do with it. So, you know, you begin to look at, you know, uh, you know, the time frames and, you know, the number of our enslaved Africans who were brought to South Carolina and the number of our enslaved Africans who were brought to Virginia and, you know, uh, the areas. Um, in West Africa they came from, you know, which there were some areas that um, transported more uh, enslaved Africans than others. So, Uh you know, I began to look at that and, you know, just kind of think about my Priscilla, you know, and think about, you know, 
my uh, my Jenny and my Annika and just wonder. And uh, actually, yeah. one of those lineages, Annika in particular, I did find a third cousin who is a mitochondria descendant, and she was a match to the uh, Mandika and Fuller people of uh, Guinea-Bissau and Senegal. Okay. So, and that okay. kind of correlates with her name, Annika. Annika is an African Muslim name. Yes, and the Mandika and the Fuller people are Muslim people. So I was like, wow, this got to be, you know, accurate. So, you know, it's I, I'm not as detailed as the Priscilla that was displayed on the series, but, you know, it doesn't stop me from thinking and doesn't stop me from, you know, drawing conclusions, you know, based on uh, facts and figures. Well, actually, what you mentioned, though, um, and, and I'll just throw it in there anyway, do you think that as a result that uh, DNA becomes a tool? You mentioned, you know, we all have the question, who is our Priscilla? And um, if nothing else, those of us who are female and just going straight up through through uh, the maternal lineage, you know, we may or may not have identified our Priscilla. Where do you think that DNA becomes a tool? Um, I, I've seen you write about it, for example, in some of your pieces as well. Um, do you think that's a viable tool to find that Priscilla? Yes, it is. I really do think so. Um, but DNA alone, I think, is ineffective. I think you, uh, people should merge DNA technology with genealogy. So, yeah. say, for instance, um, you want to, you know, just kind of get an idea who your Priscilla may be. You right. know, uh, you know, I encourage everyone to trace back as far as they can to that earliest mm-hmm. ancestor, especially if they want to take the you know, African ancestry test, you know, that only looks at the mitochondrial lineage, which is mother to mother to mother. You uh-huh. know, see how far back, you know, you can go gene- genealogically and then um, take the test just to see what it says, you know. So I, I think the marriage of uh, DNA and genealogy is very important. DNA alone may not... You know, I think it's more exciting when you incorporate genealogy with the DNA. But I think Correct. it's very Correct. much a viable tool. Mm-hmm. You know, very much. You know, I implore everybody to fully understand their DNA results. You know, oftentimes I hear people say that I am uh, Yoruba from Nigeria, as if that's their entire African composition. And you know, right. I'm like, no, that's just that's just one that's just one part, one little part of your family tree. We had many ancestors who were on those slave slave trips and they come from many groups. So, you know, I want people to think about that as well. You know, we you know, African Americans we are very uh, mixed with many African ethnic groups. So just right. don't I mean right. you know, you know, it's good we find out one, but know that there are many others that we're descend from. That's very, very correct, definitely. Well, um, so far, uh, and I'll use the same, I guess, um, um, question that I was asking Nika as well. Well, she pointed out, for example, the fact that we do see bits and pieces of the usual suspects that we hear about, you know, the, the, the characters in history whose names always come up during Black History Month. Do you feel that um, some... New new players have been introduced, new figures in history. And, of course, our own families are our personal players. But um, I guess do you feel that the series has addressed 
some lesser-known aspects of history as well, uh, or some details maybe of some events were perhaps clarified a little bit more? I personally don't think so because there's only so much you can do within an hour. Correct. So Mm -hmm. um, I feel it's been, you know, like most documentaries, it's been, you know, very general, but still, you know, pretty good information, but pretty general. Um, Mm -hmm. There were one or two people that I, you know, I was glad to um, hear about, such as Richard Allen and uh, Robert Small. Right. Uh, I'm glad those two were highlighted and um, highlighted. Some yeah. have heard of Robert Smalls by name, but I think many have never really understood the details of what happened. Yeah. Yes, he took the ship and, and, and sailed it into to the Union uh, Harbor. Well, those, there were some small details that were shared. You know, yes, he blew the horn and they blew the signal back and let him pass. And sometimes oh. those small details are often um, just not known. Well, let me ask you this. One of the things that I often talk about and blog about is finding the freedom story. And uh, a little bit of it was addressed um, in terms of of contraband, for example. How do you feel that that was addressed, or do you think that it was um, addressed well in the series? Uh, the contraband story, um, that could be one episode within itself, and I'm pretty sure you 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 can contribute a lot. Uh, yeah, you know, I have to think about contraband. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, to the contraband story. So, um, um, you know, I think you know, I think like I said before, I think we have so many aspects of African American history that, you know, each of those aspects can be an hour. So That's like correct. you know, telling the story of the contraband could be an entire hour, right. or you know, telling the you know telling the story of the Civil War soldier, the African American soldier, could be an hour, uh-huh. you know, stuff like that. So um, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'm hoping somebody hear hear me and say, hmm, a Black History Channel, hmm, right, right. Well, you, you have know, you know, as well. Do you feel that? Um, I'm not saying the story of the soldiers. There are many stories of of 200,000-plus U.S. colored troops. But um, being a descendant of Civil War soldiers, do you feel that uh, it was addressed? I won't – of course, it could not be addressed thoroughly, but uh, at least addressed sufficiently, perhaps, and maybe sufficiently is a generous term. But um, were you pleased to see how it was handled? Uh, for the most part, yes. Um, okay. Yeah, for the most part, you know, they 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 touched on the highlights. Sure. But sure. Um, I think we'll be more captivating if we, you know, devote some more time to individual soldiers who may not, whose story may not have been told. Right. Or, and we know the story. Or even like go into, you know, tell the story right. of somebody who's not famous. Right. And just show that you know we all have these types of stories in our family. That's so it just true. doesn't, That's you know, right? It just doesn't have to be centered around this this famous person who's all whose story is often told. Mm-hmm. So we, I mean, mm-hmm. there are so millions of stories out there. You know, <laughs> it's, it's it's amazing, and I find it amazing when uh, you know, in in uh, genealogy groups when people share. 
you know, their uh, research findings and their stories, you know. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, of course their ancestors was not known, but, you know, it's just fascinating just to hear what people are unearthing about their ancestors and stuff like that. Oh, so, absolutely. I yeah, definitely yeah. that. Well, well, thank you. I certainly appreciate your, your giving us uh, your input, and we're probably going to open it up later for more discussion. But uh, right now, why don't we take just a brief break, and we will come back and continue with the rest of our guests. So let's take a quick break. Hey, I don't think we've gotten our cue in to come and take the break, so we can. Archives and Beyond. My name is Angela Walton Raji. I am your guest host sitting in for Bernice Alexander Bennett. And tonight we are speaking with members of the African American Genealogy Blogging Circle. We have already spoken with Nika Smith of Bolivar, Tennessee, and Melvin J. Collier of Northern Virginia. We're going to talk now. We're going to move a little bit to the West. And we're going to speak with George Jeter. Some of us know George Jeter from the blogging world and the genealogy uh, blogosphere. And many of us may remember Mr. Jeter from a fascinating episode about two or three years ago on History Detective as well. We're familiar with his success as a blogger and a writer and his undying commitment to working for equality in not only the genealogy community, but also the greater community. Welcome, George Jeter. Oh, thank you, Angela. Thank you very much. And uh, peace and blessings to everybody, including those in the, in the chat part of, the, uh, of this session. Oh, I'm just, uh, I'm just thrilled to be here. And um, I got some uh, shoulders to uh, climb on. Uh, Nika Smith and Mel Collier, they did a fantastic job. Oh, wonderful. Well, first of all, I guess I'll just start and ask you the same question. What are your first impressions about this series? My first impression uh, was, uh, surprisingly, uh, uh, Henry Louis Gates, Jr., he mentioned Estevan, or Estevanico, as they call him out here, uh, the uh, first African to walk the plains of Texas. However, I think there should be a correction there that he walked the plains of New Mexico and um, Arizona. Uh, ah, yes. Yeah. 
chasing after gold, and uh, we uh, we want to claim him as as ours now that I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So uh, uh-huh. that was the first that was the first clue that um, well we need to pay attention to all the things that are being um, presented to us. Um, uh-huh. But overall, I think um, I think I like the series. Um, I think it's uh, one of uh, Henry Louis Gates's uh, best series. Um, okay. He's doing a really good job. He's uh, using a lot more African ancestored um, historians, which I think is uh, fantastic. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know. I know um, several of, of my own close friends have been doing the same thing I've been doing. When I see the names go on the screen, I've been writing their names down. Then I go and Google and find out where they are. Mm-hmm. And they are noted historians. It's quite exciting to see that. And um, whereas frequently we may see individuals on other programs who um, are speaking to some degree about things that may happen, but we're listening now to African, as you said, African ancestored historians. And this has been certainly um, something very impressive to see. Exactly. Well, so I can forgive I can forgive him for some transgressions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can understand that. Well, I do have a, a specific question uh, for you. In okay. uh, the response that you wrote to episode number two, you addressed the era of slavery. And, of course, we know that, well, so many things were covered. We heard so many things. We heard the episode of Margaret Garner. Many people were not uh, not familiar with her story. But uh, on your post, you posted a beautiful photo of an ancestor, which included her obituary. I believe that was uh, Emma Jeter, one of your ancestors. And this beautiful woman, dignified woman, whose image you shared, um, a little bio was included, and it indicated that she had given birth to 13 children, 10 Mm -hmm. of whom were sold away from her. All I can say is, God, what heartache. Oh, my goodness. How heartbreaking is that? Um, I guess I'll ask you the question, and not in necessarily directed to the program itself, but just in mm-hmm. general, how was this for you as a researcher, as a genealogist, reading about your own family? How was this to read? There are 10 children that were just taken from this mother, and mm-hmm. possibly 10 branches of your family scattered around the country as a result, unknown to you, probably have different surnames. How was that? Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. um, Well, let me start at the beginning of that. Um, At the time that I learned about this, I was living in Binghamton, New York, and my family came through um, South Carolina, Virginia, and Pennsylvania before they came to New York. Um, Uh Uh-huh. And I learned that uh, they uh, settled in Tawanda, Pennsylvania. So early on, years ago, I, I went to um, Tawanda, Pennsylvania, and inquired there at the local uh, genealogical society and the historical uh, society there. And they said, okay, well, we'll, we'll look for some stuff for you. And um, lo and behold, they came up with these uh, two obituaries. And the wow. one that you're speaking of, of my uh, great-great-grandmother, uh, Emma, uh, 
they sort of said, oh, yeah, we found, a, we found an obituary, and it's 1881. That in itself is uh, remarkable um, for, yeah. um, for, for African ancestored people to be in the local newspapers in, in that era, uh, again, 1881. And so they were kind of quiet about it, and they sent it to me, and then I read it. And I was like oh. devastated, like oh my goodness! And oh. I have to, yeah. And I have to add to the story that um, my father, uh, he had a photo album, and this photo album had old tintypes and old um, uh, the postcard style uh, uh, pictures. And of the tintypes, what what you saw on, on my blog was uh, was uh, my great great grandmother, and I had to do a, a lot of research and a process of elimination to um, realize that oh my goodness, this is my great great grandmother Emma Emma Jeter, and then to hear the story via the um, uh, the obituary was just okay. heartbreaking. Wow! And I only know. And I only know of two of her children. Uh, her one son, James, who was my great-grandfather, and uh-huh. Jeremiah Jeter, who was my great-uncle. Uh-huh. So not only are there ten people that, that I don't know of, there's also one. Uh, there's uh. there's an additional one. So part of my mission has been to try to find who these people are where they are, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. probably walking, I'm walking amongst my cousins, <laughs> yeah. you know. And that's, that's the tragedy. Well, as you mentioned on your blog and as you were, and all of us, we're, we're, we're trying to find our Priscilla's as, as we saw in episode one, we're trying to find mm-hmm. a contemporary of Mumbet. We're trying to, to take that. And some of us, perhaps have a Margaret Garner story or something similar because of just, just the horrific things that happened. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it's, 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 yes, it is part of the process. And for many of us, it's not a surprise the first time maybe you see a, an ancestor on a slave record, but when you read the extra part, because we know, yes, our ancestors were enslaved. But when you see, oh, mm-hmm. wow, this woman, especially contrasting the image of this beautiful woman in that Victorian dress and think she could stand there as a woman who's still sane after 10 babies were taken from her. And um, it's, it's very sobering. Um, have you found yes. a, some sort of, of – have you found your own – desire strengthened to go and find Mumbet in your own story from having watched the series? Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that the uh, series has uh, illuminated for me was um, that uh, we do have these stories. We have these individual stories. Um, I'm thinking that genealogists and family historians are going to be the yes. new arbiters of our of our culture and legacy as we unearth these stories as we look in the old archives and the newspaper accounting and all that we're going to find a new story a new narrative uh for our people and i just i'm 
I'm just thrilled with with that. And I think uh, the series uh, "Many Rivers to Cross" um, hints at that. Um, mm-hmm. And what we need to do is we need to take the ball and run with it. Um, yeah. Uh, Gates and, and company has given us uh, these little tidbits, these uh, Mumbat and Priscilla, and we just need to look into our own um, genealogies and, our, and look at our ancestors and say, okay, um, I have a character who is similar to Priscilla, um, but here's her story, and we need to illuminate those stories and bring them to light and, and let the larger um, community know about um, – uh, our our greater history, which um, I think uh, genealogists and family history, historians are are providing. Well, let me ask you a, a different question, and I know it often comes up um, in in mm-hmm. um, just discussions sort of out there on the circuit. Um, there is sort of that big gap sometimes between genealogists and historians, meaning the the scholars from the academy. And um, Mm -hmm. there is a gap, although in many cases, we are their primary readers. We know that historians write for each other and deliver their papers to each other, yet I know from even um, looking at what's happened with some of the guests that um, a Bernice has brought on the show. Many have had suddenly this big swell in book sales from out of the blue because mm-hmm. the stories belong to the people. History belongs to the people. And um, it's something that I think is significant. And just as you told that story of, of Emma Jeter and what happened to her, and still she survived. She, she was resilient and could still stand so beautifully as she does. In that uh, image that you shared on your blog, uh, it's, it's empowering. And many of us have sometimes a feeling of, of frustration, but it is very empowering. I know one of the um, um, fellow uh, bloggers or, or one of the genealogists I know after watching the episode, particularly after reading about um, Margaret Garner or hearing about her story, and this person mm-hmm. just said, how is, it, how is it possible for us not to be angry? And, um, you know, I don't necessarily have that answer other than the fact that telling the story and telling it well helps me not to be angry. How do you feel as you tell Imogita's story uh, beyond the heartache? How do you not be angry um, knowing that, that this, this, this heartbreak certainly was a part of her life? Well, there's um... – I guess the way I deal with with the heartbreak and try to mitigate the anger of it all is to to look at the larger story. There's there's uh-huh. more to it than than Bye. just Emma. Um, in that same obituary, uh, it points out that her son came to Pennsylvania and he worked uh, through industry and he made money and he went back to mm-hmm. Virginia or South Carolina. I'm not certain where, but he went back and he got his parents and he brought them to, uh, uh, to Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah. he, he brought them to a better place. Uh, that's a story that, um, that really touches me and endears me to, um, 
to, to a richer sense of, of, of our histories. And I think mm-hmm. that everybody can find those kinds of stories uh, within their, um, while they're doing their genealogy and, and, and doing their research. So that's, those kinds of things, those kinds of stories help me to not be as angry because um, it's, it's a beautiful family story, if, if you will, if, if, if yeah. you may allow me, that the son went and got his parents and brought yeah. them and brought them to a better place. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's so, a very good point. Any other things that you'd want to share with us, maybe a reaction to, um, you know, maybe another part of history beyond um, uh, the era of slavery? Did anything strike you from the Reconstruction era? Um, well, anything? Yeah, the, um, the the Reconstruction area was quite interesting because um, I'm working on my family history of of uh, stories of sharecroppers and lynchings and killings and all yeah. those kinds of on the ground uh, stories. Um, but but one of the interesting things, if I may, um, I'd like to point out that. Um, uh, this series, Many Rivers to Cross, has garnered many discussions across across the country, um, including what we're doing here. Um, here in New Mexico, uh, we had a, a, a teachers forum where um, we gathered um, a number of uh, teachers throughout the state, and we had them uh, critique and review some of the excerpts for, uh-huh. from, from the series. And it was interesting for me, um, not being a teacher, but I was allowed to be a part of this uh, gathering. Um, okay. People were surprised. People were surpri- Teachers were surprised that George Washington had so many slaves. Right. Now. Yeah. Um, so so multiply that times all the other aha moments within the series and with these teachers, and these teachers are going to turn around and go back to their um, respective uh, schools and create new lesson plans for their students. And so um, this is where we need to, genealogists and family historians, we need to be there when this is happening because now teachers are getting new information and hopefully they will will process it and distill it to our children. And we need to be there for that. Yes, and getting to your point about reconstruction, there is so much that went on with within our respective families that we really need to be there. It wasn't all just a monolithic. Um, uh, uh-huh. They gave us forty acres and a mule, and then they took it away, and then there were oh. lynchings, and then the next thing you know, we're in 1940. <laughs> you know, there's there's more to that yeah. story. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's, that's a very good point. Well, um, I think it's something that's ongoing, and hopefully the different conversations and workshops and symposiums and, and the meetings such as the one that you just referenced, mm-hmm. hopefully it will be taking place uh, in other communities as well. Um, I um, want to think that if, if at least in a few places another generation might be exposed to some new information other than than what one typically sees 
that certainly can yep. be, uh, give us something to look forward to. So thank Absolutely. you so much. As I said, we'll open it up in just a little bit for others to join in, in this, this discussion. But we're going to move a little bit farther to the west to California. And from Northern California comes Terry Ligon, whom I've known for many years. Terry has devoted countless hours over the years to telling one of the major untold stories of America's forgotten slaves. I have the same history that he has, those whose ancestors were enslaved in Indian territory. He has a blog devoted to discussing this, the Black and Red Journal, where he continues to illustrate his commitment to sharing lost Oklahoma history and this forgotten chapter in American history as well. Welcome, Terry Ligon. Well, welcome to you. How are you doing, Angela? Doing well, doing well. I know you have a little bit of a cough and cold there. Um, I appreciate you joining us, uh, nevertheless. Um, You know, Terry, you're one of the few people. There are just a handful of us, and I mean literally a handful of us, who address this missing chapter, those whose ancestors, African ancestored people who were enslaved and taken to the West, uh, to Indian Territory on the forced migration, known in a general sense as the Trail of Tears. And you've addressed this in your blog. I'm also aware of your work with Betty Ligon, your ancestor, who led a movement of over 2,000 people into the courts in the Chickasaw Nation to only have the Chickasaw Nation abandon the case. She was the Rosa Parks of Chickasaw Freedmen. And um, telling her story is just one of those missing stories. How does this affect you? And, again, beginning with the same general question, how does this then affect your perspective on many rivers across? Well, as you can imagine, I am a little disappointed that there hasn't been any mention of the enslaved people in Indian Territory. Um, It's quite disappointing when you look at thousands and thousands of people who were enslaved, and many times uh, the program touches on Indian Territory, like the last one. He spoke of the Tulsa race riot, and Freeman were living in that area, but no mention of them, or how they even acquired that land. Um, Uh These are the types of issues that continually uh, frustrate me over the years because the history is so rich and so well documented that I find it difficult to believe that with all of these scholars that he's using, they can't mention it at all. I mean, um, maybe one or two mentions would be okay, but... There's nothing, absolutely nothing. And, and that's a disappointment because one of the things that I took from the program early on was a commitment, I thought, of Dr. Gates and his people to have an overarching program that presented all, well, not all, but enough of African-American history that it would be included in this program. And uh-huh. what really I find disheartening is the fact that he also wants to take this into the curriculum of the schools. And I'm looking at the bigger picture, and I'm saying, well, if you can't present this stuff in your program, and yet I'm to believe you're going to bring it into the school system, I'm having serious doubts that the 
children of America will ever know this history if we depend on him. Well, it's very interesting because um, um, you know that, of course, I researched the Freedman records um, just as much as, as you do. And I had a fascinating discussion at um, a national conference. And uh, I always visit the exhibitors when I go to a national conference. And I spoke to some of the exhibitors from Fold 3. This was when I spoke at the um, California Jamboree in, in June. And as you know, there are over 14,000 files of African-American families. That's files. Now multiply 14,000 times 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, depending upon how many people were in each household. Um, we're talking uh, certainly hundreds of thousands of people, but 14,000 files of Friedman records. And I stopped at the uh, fold3.com booth and uh, just had a chat, and we were talking about items in the African-American collection. And I said, well, you know, do you ever talk about the African-Americans that are embedded in the Native American collection? And the guy just sort of looked at me, and I said, here. And he had a big screen up, so I walked him through it. And I said, now click on Choctaw Friedman, Chick, click on Chickasaw Friedman, and just brought up a document. He had never seen that slave of, and, and of course the name of the Indian slaveholder was there. And the records are bountiful. This is just one tiny subset of records. Before the Dawes records, the 14,000, there was the Wallace Roll of 1890. There was the Choctaw Chickasaw Freedman Census of 1885. There was the Kearney Clifton Roll of Cherokee Freedman uh, Census, the Dunn Roll of 1867, and on and on. So I understand your sentiment. The question might be, uh, what can we do to to garner the intention in a large way of those who have the platform. How can we bring that to the attention of Dr. Gates in a more succinct way? It's not just something weird on Don Cheadle's uh, segment on African-American lives. Um, do you think that there is a way to take that story? And you can't overlook several thousand people who don't even appear on a typical map when you see 1860 and showing slavery. Um, have you felt, I know you've been addressing it in your blog, have you felt um, there's a method of maybe taking this to those who have the platform, the producers, whether it's Cunard or whomever um, Dr. Gates may be working with? Um, how do we take that story there? It's not like I haven't posted on his Facebook page <laughs> to um, give him uh, Well, he may not be looking at the page. I'm sure he has a staff. But, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I, I mean, it is something that is valid. And, um, I mean, you have, you know, certainly relentlessly been dealing with this. Um, have you found, and I know you and I have had a discussion, have you found any parallels between some of the issues that have occurred and that have been highlighted on the series, any parallels appearing in Indian territory? Well, that is the beauty of this history. When you talk about parallels, I'm talking about a parallel world. Everything that happened uh -huh. in the United States happened in Indian territory. Uh, when you talk about Ku Klux Klan, they call them white cappers. When you talk about Latina the Curve, when you talk about sundown towns, when every Negro in the town was supposed to disappear, it happened in Indian Territory. These right. are issues that reflect on the larger society. 
And mm-hmm. I don't know if Dr. Gates or someone in this position is receptive to this history. For some reason, they don't make the connection. Because to me, it's obvious. It's obvious to me that he's aware of it after doing the Don Cheeto episode. So to ignore it is uh, to ignore part of African-American history. And that bothers me when you talk about you're going to put this in a curriculum for the schools. What is he going to put there? And he has been given an opportunity that requires a certain responsibility in my mind that Uh he should take upon himself the opportunity to bring this information to the forefront. We have numerous scholars out there who can be very well um, spokespersons for this history, and you know the names, uh, Jesse Schreier, uh, Dr. Daniel Lewis, all of the names that we're familiar with. These people are no slouches, and they carry the Ph.D. behind their name as well. So I can't see anybody doing their research not being able to contact these people. It just doesn't make sense to me. And so with that, I'm finding it very difficult to understand because, again, you can, you can look at uh, – in, um, in fact, when I'm working on my fourth uh, blog, I took the title, uh, Finding a Way When There's No Way. Well, who reflects that most in Indian Territory but the Chickasaw Freedmen, who lived in a country without citizenship in either the Chickasaw Nation or the United States? And they had to make a way out of no way. There is a direct parallel to that history, and yet there is no mention of this stuff. But he does present the history in a nice Ken Burnsian way, you know, which for me as a graphic artist, I love the visuals. And, and you know, okay, he has right, right. some obscure history that if, it's, if he can go to the obscure uh, ends of the earth for these other things, how can you miss what's in the middle of America? Yeah. Does it make sense? I don't, I don't get it. Well, I think perhaps at some point in time it perhaps needs to be addressed. I know that last year one of the uh, MacArthur Fellows received an award yeah. for talking about slavery. Uh, of course, this is before removal in, in the Van Plantation. Um, yet, of course, you and I certainly have been, been uh, aware of, of a lot more that has been going on in terms of a serious scholarship in terms of what's been happening with Friedman and with not not the Friedman, it's difficult perhaps because I think it gets lost perhaps in in some sort of uh, assumption that oh this is going to slip into uh, uh, I, I want to be an Indian type of thing, whereas we're talking about African ancestored people enslaved and right. neglected for forty years, and so it's it's a challenging story. Um, well, it, it could be challenging if you don't approach it from that angle. Um, I'm not approaching it from uh, me wanting to be an Indian, you know, even mm-hmm. though my ancestor was attempting to make that case. I've never taken right. that position because I've always enjoyed the larger story. I've enjoyed the story of all the people in that community because I think as a community, they illustrated the um, ideal of working together how they pulled together in order to overcome the adversity that they were finding in the Chickasaw Nation um, because they were outcasts. They were not right. being accepted. And many of them were the mm-hmm. children of Indians who were definitely being outcasts. So they, too, were trying to find a way in this milieu 
that they call Indian Territory, and somehow they made it through. I think as a result of that 40-year um, period, they may have had some setback in their advancement, so they weren't um, similar to what you saw in the Tulsa area when you talk about economic development. These are parts of the stories that need to be told because history is just more than people or family to me. You know, I look at the socioeconomic aspects of what was going on there, and there was much more to Indian Territory than just the people there because there were things that would affect the lives of these people. And so I try to incorporate all of that in what I do. Uh, I'm sure you saw, as well as I, when the images of Tulsa were being shared and there were different people uh, whose images were were, uh, being shown before they spoke with Hannibal Johnson, and uh, who, by the way, is from my hometown. I was excited to see Hannibal there. Um, uh, He was talking with Dr. Gates about what had happened uh, in the Greenwood District. And um, the images that I'm referring to as they were flashing by, and, of course, I recognized that was, there was a Creek Freedman. That was the gentleman sitting at his desk. It looked as if he was writing something. This gentleman was a Creek Freedman. He had uh, been enslaved by Muscogee Creek Indians, was a freedman, has a file, has uh, all of the same kind of data that one saw in the Don Cheeto episode of African American Lives and so on. Um, it is, because I remember saying, and sort of getting this glimmer of hope, oh, my God, he's going to say something about the freedmen. It didn't happen. Um, but um, still, I guess my question to you, though, is uh, maybe if you could probably give some details. You and I both know about the, the Choctaw Chickasaw Freedmen Association and the different movements and petitions into Congress. And um, you're probably the one person in the country who knows the most about Betty Ligon. Tell us a little bit about Betty, some of the things that she did, not necessarily long details about her case, but she was kind of an activist, and I call her the Rosa Parks of the Chickasaw Nation. Can you tell people about Um, Betty, your answer? My father told me the story about his Indian grandmother. At first, I had serious doubts that he was telling the truth because for however many years, in the family, we never heard about his Indian grandmother. So for him to come up when I'm like in my mid to late 30s and tell the story about this woman standing in front of the courthouse doors and preventing the the, uh, constable to close the door because people from the country were coming out to sign up for their land. Those are the kind of stories you hear and you take with a grain of salt. Well, I finally got an opportunity to travel to Oklahoma in 1995 with my father. And we did a little scouting around to um, do some research on this grandmother that he really didn't know. And Uh I came to find out that not only was it possible that the story he was telling me had some truth to it, but I uncovered the paper trail that led all the way from Ardmore, Oklahoma, to the Supreme Court in Washington, Washington, D.C., And that's what got me to look at this in a holistic way, that if this woman could fight for 2,000 people, what it would be for me to sit up there and be selfish and look out for myself. So I I dedicated myself to telling the story of all the people because I thought that that's exactly what she stood for. She was looking to um, get something for herself, but she was there for all the other people. And these were Choctaw and Chickasaw. Uh, freedmen, classified freedmen, but they were mixed blood. And their, right. their goal to uh, 
take the tribes to court in order to sue for their citizenship rights as citizens by blood. Um, mm-hmm. And what the, the case hinged on was rather than getting 40 acres of land like the freedmen were given, they would have been entitled to 320 acres of land. So they were making a pretty bold move. And land at this time was a, a valuable commodity, commodity, you know, because we're talking about mineral rights. You're talking about oil. They were discovering oil at the time. All of these factors were going into somebody getting land. And the less in these freedmen hands meant the more in someone like uh, Rockefeller and Standard Oil, who was also in the territory looking at the prospects of getting rich there. So okay, I saw right. the fight as one that was um, definitely going against the system there. And she and the people that she represented, they, they just ran into one problem after another. Was she the one who was said to have held the courthouse door open or something when yes. she wanted to get That's all of the, the African people who were trying to come in and register? Or what was that story about her well, making sure they were slammed well, the from what the I, up? From what I gathered, um, when I look at the documents, and there was this uh, legal brief on Saturday, April the 13th, 1907, I believe was the date. And I thought it was odd. You know that it was Saturday, but thinking uh, back okay. in that time, these people were coming in to sign up to get on that brief or that lawsuit for their land, the land which would have been three hundred and twenty acres. And at the time, we were talking about twenty million dollars. Hmm. So twenty million, twenty million dollars in nineteen oh seven is a huge chunk oh, of money. Sure. Okay, and Absolutely. this was the the basis of their lawsuit. And you can imagine that they were they were poor, many of them right. illiterate, and they had no real way to um, really get themselves identified as a Chickasaw or Choctaw Indian because the Dawes Commission itself was not making any kind of a notation of their Indian blood. And also... Listeners, if, for example, I know in the Choctaw and Chickasaw Nation, the purpose of all this was for land allotment. If you were identified as a descendant of a slave, you would get 40 acres. But if you were identified as a descendant of a person with Indian blood or intermarried white, you would get 320 acres. There is a big difference. And these are individuals. It's an absurd argument. It's an absurd argument because. When, as genealogists, we understand that a person is descended from one point of origin on down, on down, on down. So right. you cannot say and use this uh, premise that you are what your mother is and exclude what your father is. And this father, is what they right. use as a basis for excluding these people. But I, right. I put it upon myself to look at, because I saw a reference in the congressional record where Champs Bixby, I believe, was making a reference to the numerous uh, freedmen who were on the roll as citizens by blood. And I thought it was a Right, thing. right. I remember uh, that. Saying that. Where too. did he come up with that? And so I went card by card by card, each and every one, and I was surprised and shocked at how many actual mixed blood freedmen were or freedmen descendants were on the blood roll. Wow. But at the same time, they were excluding 
this other group of people. That the series will well maybe not this particular series obviously they're going to be in another time frame in the next episode. Oh, I don't have any hope for Elvis whatsoever. Say that again. I don't have any hope for him whatsoever. I've moved well, on. Hopefully, you know maybe I think we have to express our our voice and that's what we're doing. Obviously, telling our stories through our lens telling this part of history through our lens, our own family lens. And it's not, I think, what's significant about what you're doing is that this is not something that's anecdotal. Oh, I have this one family that lived in this remote part of the country. When you get to 14,000-plus families, that's not anecdotal information. We're talking about... It's not about anecdotal when you are on population. the congressional record as documented Absolutely. that you struggled and fought for your rights. Now, we talk about civil rights. I, I think you have an, a, a real good case to illustrate right. that the freedmen of Indian Territory, especially Choctaws and Chickasaw, because they had an adversarial relationship with the tribes, that you see uh-huh. civil rights being played out well before right. the turn of the century. And this is why I think it's so instrumental and educational and illustrative of the history. Because you can look at everything you talk about on this program, and it occurred right there in Indian Territory. Everything. Everything. What's interesting but it, but is how many was, people don't know of that history as well. And um, this is why genealogy is so empowering. You know, we saw that, that sort of, what is it, deer in the headlight stare, uh, that sort of Don Cheadle blank look expression, like Chickasaw Friedman. And uh, we know that. And it's it certainly knowing one's history is empowering. And um, that's why I can certainly understand that frustration that you feel in terms of, wow, still yet the history is uh, is missed. Um, so I can certainly understand that and uh, applaud you for still talking about it on your blog, and uh, you are consistent, definitely. Um, one of the things that I want to do is to uh, allow our, our chatters, listeners and chatters, to ask questions. You are um, certainly free if you want to call in and ask a question. Um, you know, certainly you can also ask your question right on the screen. And uh, we want to address and, and give our listeners a chance to ask questions of all of our bloggers. And, again, we have had guests uh, from literally all over the country. We have had Nika Sewell-Smith from Tennessee, Melvin Collier of Northern Virginia, George Jeter of New Mexico, and Terry Ligon of Northern California with those strong Oklahoma roots. And and myself, I'm Angela Walton-Raji coming to you from Maryland. But um, I certainly want to give our listeners a chance maybe to post some of their questions. Um, If you have a question, you may call 646 Two zero 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 four nine one, and press one to speak with the host. And if you have a question for a specific blogger, you know certainly express that. You can also type your question to the screen. Um, one of the things I guess I'll ask um, um, any of you um, certainly can can respond to this. In terms of, uh, of course, now we've gone through a little bit of, of 
the early 20th century, a little bit of the Harlem Renaissance. Um, how is that affecting where you want to go now with your blog? And, uh, of course, we're anticipating next week's as well. Um, but um, what are you working on right now? I know some of you are still working on your fourth uh, blog post uh, from this week. But uh, what, what's, what's on your mind? I know some of you have probably had some emotional reactions. I have. Um, I've had some saying, okay, I hope I'll have a chance to bring in this particular story from my family history. Melvin, I'll just jump in and ask you, is there anything pressing that you want or feel that you will want to bring out in your next post? At the moment, I can't think of anything because usually, usually as I am watching the episodes, um, an idea just pops in my head. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, it's 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 like uh, it's like instantaneous. Like when they're mentioning something or talk about something, I, you know, a light bulb will go off, and I say, "Oh, I think I want to talk about that." So at the uh-huh, moment, I don't uh-huh. have anything specific on my mind, but um, but who knows what's going to come out of my fingers <laughs> in the future? Well, I one of the things that I like that you have done is that you have really made case studies out of, of these points in history that you're dealing with. You've uh, um, looked at certain things and said, okay, I found this from this particular era, but you've turned it into a lesson, almost into a teaching moment. Um, do you find even as you've been blogging, you've been teaching? I, I see you as a teacher, actually. So, um <laughs> Where, where, where yes, do I do, about? and that's yeah. That's one of my purpose is to uh, inform the audience. Um, yeah. you know, people will you know will notice that you know I like to you know have you know figures and statistics and data and numbers, and, and or, or I may take a, yeah, or I may take a snapshot of a community and express mm-hmm. how this reflects something that was talked about in the series. For an example, they talked about um, um, the second migration, I mean the second Middle Passage. And right. anybody right. in Mississippi mm-hmm. who researched Mississippi history know that is very evident. So, you know, I just, you know, like my second blog post, I just wanted to take a, you know, a snapshot and look at my great-great-grandfather's neighborhood and analyze where all these people came from. And you know, right. it's quite evident. You know, I, I like doing things. I like teaching or okay. going a little bit more in depth. Okay. You know, you know, I, right. I, I enjoy doing. Okay. I definitely like the teaching aspect of it. Okay, that's good. That's great. Well, there's a comment um, coming from the chat, and and uh, which I think it's 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 an important one. Um, Dr. Murphy, uh, Family Tree Girl, is is pointing out that you know. What we're going through as we're watching the series is that we're getting to know ourselves, and as she says, know thyself is knowing your history and not sure that you can separate it. It can be ignored, but it's still there. And here, meaning, you know, listen to the whispers because the ancestors are whispering to us all the time. And uh, for many of us, that's where we're getting this 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 desire, whether it's finding Mumbet, finding our own Priscilla, 
um, finding, you know, that that uh, ancestor. Sometimes it's it's breaking through. Maybe finding our own Margaret Garner story or finding the stories of resistance. And one of the things that certainly I uh, have felt for me, sharing just my own feeling about the series, is that um, again. What I hope people sense is that our history did not begin just with us on a slave ship and that we Mm -hmm. were also not passively waiting for someone to, quote, unquote, set us free. We were were actively Mm -hmm. involved in that. And uh, we we were resisting our state. Those who didn't survive the Middle Passage, some because they said, you know, I prefer death, some who, who tried to swim back. Uh, one of the stories that's often told about individuals when they arrived at, at Ebo's Landing, we know that, um, you know, the story of the people who tried to walk back home. And so the stories mm-hmm. of resistance are there. I know from, you know, Terry has heard me talk about the, the Cherokee Slave Rebellion enough in 1842. This is what nine years or so after Nat Turner's rebellion, you had, you know, 60 or so Cherokee slaves trying to free themselves and get to Mexico. And we had the the Seminoles, 200 of whom made it to Mexico. So there are all these stories that we have to tell. And so, um, you know, all of these things are there. So, and as, as it says, someone says on the screen, you know, our history did not begin with um, uh, Jamestown. Uh, Terry, someone um, has asked the name of your blog. Um, can you just share that? Um, someone wanted to know what the name of your blog Google is. Black and Red Journal. Black and Red Journal will pop up. Black and Red Journal, if you go mm-hmm. to Google, um, certainly it's there. And I do want to – let me just mention the names of others uh, – uh, of all of the all of the blogs, actually, because I think that uh, many of you will find them to be quite uh, enlightening, and um, hopefully you'll find some really interesting things that are there. Um, one person who has a beautiful blog called Finding Eliza. She's joined our group. She's blogging. Uh, Kristen Klieg. Of course, Melvin, we know his blog is Roots Revealed. George Jeter's blog is Wanders, Wonders, Signs. Terry's blog, as we just heard, is Black and Red Journal. Vicki Davis Mitchell, coming to us from Arizona. Um, her blog is a wonderful one, Mariah's Zephyr. And it's Zephyr spelled Z-E-P-H-E-R. Yvette Porter-Moore, another blogger, has joined our community. The Ancestors Have Spoken is the name of her blog. Nika Sewell Smith, her blog is whoisnikasmith.com. And Drusilla Pear, Find Your Folks. She's been blogging for quite some time. And my blog is called My Ancestor's Name. Um, Anyway, you know, this has been a remarkable opportunity for me, number one, to talk with all of you. I am so thrilled that you were all able to join us. And I want to thank each of you. Um, thank you, Nika. Thank you, George. Thank you, Melvin. And thank you, Terry, uh, for joining in the discussion. I also thank you, Angela. Thanks, Miss oh, Angela. Thank you're you. awesome host. <laughs> oh, you're very. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate all of you. And next week, by the way, Bernice is going to be back with us, and she is going to have as her special guest, Marquetta L. Goodwine. Some know her as certainly an individual who is a preservationist and uh, a, a person who represents the Gullah Geechee Nation. She is also known by many as Queen Quet Marquetta Goodwine. And um, she is uh, basically talented on many levels. Uh, in her one life, she is a computer scientist, a lecturer, and a mathematician, but she's also a preservationist and also an environmental justice advocate, particularly for the areas in the low country. And she is an archivist, uh, and she's going to be um, uh, really joining the discussion next week with Bernice, discussing the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. And as you know, we're talking about the areas from Jacksonville, North Carolina, to northeastern corner of Florida, encompassing all of the sea islands and about 30 miles inland as well. And in the meantime, uh, Bernice always tells us about those ancestors who leave footprints and to follow those clues left by the ancestors and, of course, through oral history records and research at the National Archives and beyond. My name is Angela Walton Raji. It has been an honor to sit in for Bernice this evening, and I hope that you will join us next week. Also, don't forget to listen to Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell, and you can continue the discussion on AfroGenius.com, and I hope a few of you will listen to my podcast tomorrow at the African Roots Podcast. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Be well and be safe. Thank you so much. Good night, everyone. Nighters. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody.